0: Crypto Clay joined by Nick Dracon, Double Sharp, Justin Bebus. Welcome everybody. How you guys doing?
1: Oh, awesome. good. Good. Nick, you got your party shirt on, man. Are you are you drinking as well? Party shirt, bit of white wine. Might might move to something stronger at the 30 minute mark. There, there's a comment, is Austin on the run with three AC? <laughs> we can neither confirm nor deny the rumors. Of the whereabouts of, of, of Austin, it's possible he hasn't really told us much. I know he's, he's just on holidays. Yeah, apparently. he's he's on family vacation
0: in the mountains and has a five point six megabyte per second internet, which is not good enough to to stream apparently. So, but yeah, he'll he'll be back. Uh, I think in two weeks. So no more technical headphone problems going on with me. So
1: cool. Or, so or he's in Panama with yeah. the three AC guys. Yes, one or the other
0: people are saying who knows who knows who knows keep them keep them on their toes but uh cool so let's let's jump in we got a bunch of stuff to cover today so 24 cpi has quickened it is 9.1 and the bank of canada hikes 100 basis points and so you know i know we've talked a ton about the macroeconomic conditions probably don't need to to go too too deep today but, you know, guys, do you, do you think that, you know, this is already priced in? We're starting to see, you know, like the, the CPI was up because of higher gasoline, shelter and food costs. Crude's coming down. I think it's down to 95 per barrel. You I know, mean, what is you guys' take on kind of where we stand right now?
2: You're right, man. Like, uh, we've kind of gone into this stuff already. But um, it's obvious, you know, things are increasing price-wise. There's obviously going to be a reaction government-wise. But I wanted to just say quickly, like, I saw a tweet that I thought, Literally was perfect right before the CPI hit. Don't pay attention to what happens five, 10 minutes afterwards. It's usually 24 to 48 hours to kind of see how it affects the market. And you I'm sure everyone saw the, the volatility over the last day. So don't be paper handed if you if you have positions just because of something like that. Because like like you've already said, that stuff's already priced in. Just that reaction right afterwards where things go a little crazy. You see those crazy bottom wicks.
3: So,
0: Cool. Yeah. Nick, what do you think brother or double sharp? Go ahead.
3: I was going to say like what, what 24 just said is if usually if you're, if you're reacting to news, you're like part of the group that the people who planned ahead are taking advantage of. So it's not usually good to be reactionary.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I, I had a tweet yesterday that, the whether the, whether the the print was 10% or 6%, I think the market still ends up in the same place 90 days from now. I just don't think it it is important what any single data point says over the next month or two, simply because there is so much uncertainty around the things that actually drive that print. The first thing you need to remember is CPI is a lagging and inaccurate measure of inflation. So when you're thinking about, you know, has inflation peaked? Has CPI peaked? Two separate conversations. You're dealing with two parallel universes. That In CPI land, which is the print land, inflation has not peaked. You're going to keep seeing high CPI numbers. Whether it's 8.5 or 9.5 next month, I don't know. I don't care. But you're still going to see persistently high inflation for, for, for a few more months. And the reason is because it's a lagging indicator. If you look at the real-time world, which is the concurrent parallel universe, you can see that oil prices are 25% off their highs, currently at 9 dollars a barrel, $92 a barrel. You can see commodity prices and pick your commodity and go and have a look. Some of these things are 30 40 25% off their all-time highs. So they've already started rolling over. That will show up in the CPI print in two or three months' time. But at the same time, you also need to consider now there are new pressures coming in. So before it was the commodity prices that are high, And that was a concern. But now you have flow on effects throughout the global economy around increased fuel prices and gas prices. And Europe's in a lot of trouble from a gas perspective because the policies in Germany have been a disaster. But now you're seeing the effects go through in terms of the cost to produce fertilizer in Germany and in Europe. And that goes everywhere around the world. So... Just when you thought you were out of the woods, when you start seeing these commodity prices start rolling over, you get these new pressures that keep prices high. So I don't think this is anywhere near over. 100 basis points isn't going to cut it. That's why you see the market down today. If you remember a month ago, the 50 basis point hike was priced in, and then the CPI print came out really high, 8.6. Everybody freaked out. The Fed said, hey, we're not going to do 50. We're going to do 75. And the market rallied for a day or two, because everyone thought they've gone 75, that'll slash flat, smash inflation in the face, and we're going to get over this thing in three months. Two days later, the market crashed again when people came to their senses and realised that's not going to happen. You're going to see the exact same thing happen now over the next few days, except because people saw what happened 30 days ago, now they're kind of prepared and you just see the equities market get hammered again today. So, you know, the idea that this thing's going to be over quickly is now you know, the default scenario for, for all capital allocators across the board. And unfortunately for crypto, it is way down in the hierarchy of discussion points, right? For prices in crypto to move, all of this stuff needs to get handled first. And that's why if you go back and watch every episode over the last six weeks, the price of Bitcoin hasn't moved. And we've been saying the exact same thing. It's not going to move because no one knows what the hell's going on with the global economy. And it won't move until we have clarity on that. And you're not going to have it in the next 30, 60, and maybe not ninety days. That's all I got.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'd add a couple of things. So I read that the Bank of America slashed their S and P target for the year. Their economics team has predicted five quarters of negative sequential growth of GDP, and they took their their price target down from from 4,500 was the original SPX target to 3,600 potentially down to 32 to 3000. So they are predicting further damage to the S&P, which probably means further damage to Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I wanted to pull up something real quick that basically, you know, I, I see a lot of people posting about the the pie cycle bottom, which has been a great indicator in previous uh, cycles. Do you, th- you know, do you think that these Bitcoin indicators are out the window, given that we've never been in this macro condition in, in a Bitcoin bear market? And, Nick, yeah. I, I probably don't even need to hear your opinion because I I'm think gonna, I know it.
1: I'm going to mute myself. Steve the squiggle. Go ahead. Actually, this is what I think, right? <laughs> so, the, 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 you know, there's room for technical analysis, very little room. But when it does apply, it's when you're looking at a data set which has some predictability about it, and, and you know, it's basically pattern recognition. And you're assuming that when you see a pattern that that relates to some previous set of circumstances that is analogous to the set of circumstances you're in today. We're currently in a complete regime change. So when you've got a 10-year-old asset and you're looking at the chart trying to say, well, this is what happened in 2017 and relate it to what's happening today, that's why the chart is useless, right? And that, that's, you know, the, the 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 right reason other than saying charts are a waste of time and Steve the Squiggle is useless, there's actually, you know, a common sense analysis that you can perform and say, you know, this situation is not like the last situation. As a result, any patterns that may, you know, look the same on a chart just aren't relevant, and that's why whatever indicator you were looking at is not going to help you, and that's why you see the technical analysis, the the technical analysts that are trying to trade Bitcoin right now are getting body bagged because of this. They're seeing something that they think is real, and it's not because the the regime of of, of the way that capital moves around the markets today is completely different to the way it moved a year ago. And they're comparing the two things like they're the same thing. It's like grabbing a basketball player and saying, hey, man, go become a bodybuilder. The two training regimes are completely different. That's like a really dumb way of explaining that why the charts (laughs) aren't going to work.
0: Yeah, I'd say the only the only positive I've seen in the market is that trading volumes on spot have remained stable about 100 billion a day every day for for the last you know two months. So that's that's probably the only positive I can pull from from that. So awesome. So mo- moving on. So the, the the cryptocurrency, the Q2 2022 cryptocurrency report came out from CoinGecko and I took some time to read through it. And one of the, like, I think that the top key theme was really the demise of stablecoins and the looming regulation that may be coming as a re- as a result of you know, the, the the UST situation. But effectively, the top 15 stablecoins have lost a fifth of their market cap, about 33.9 billion. Probably no, you know, no surprise there. About 18 billion is wiped out by UST alone. But we're seeing Frax lose 48% of market share. Dai lose 32% of market share. Because I think people probably associate these with with the algorithmic stablecoins. They don't really understand the model. And, and obviously a certain amount of liquidity has just straight up exited the crypto market because of the market itself. So we're not really focusing on that. That much is clear. But this really opens up to the the idea that this Loomis Gillenbrand bill which strikes a medium between banks and stablecoin issuers and anyone in general. So basically, you know, kind of like defines who can issue stablecoins and both banks and non-banks can issue stablecoins. Algo stablecoins are completely outlawed in the bill and non-banks have to work through federal regulation and liquidity requirements. So I want to play a quick video. We've, We've never actually played a video live and we're going to give it a shot here, but I want to play a quick video of Kevin O'Leary talking about what is coming in the regulation space for stable coins, and then get everyone's thoughts on how this might impact the, uh, the space overall. So let's let's give this a, a try.
4: Let's return to
3: that question of policy. The crypto space is expecting to get some clarity, a lot of
1: draft legislation circling in Washington. What are your thoughts on on some of the bills that we're seeing put forward?
5: well i've spent a lot of time on the hill in the last two months i've met with everybody that's brought a bill forward Haggerty, Toomey, me lummis i mean there's a lot of interest in this here's what i think is going to happen they're going to pick one thing they're going to pick one thing and put policy on that it's going to be stablecoin to start and the policy there is going to be pretty clear all the bills say the same thing they want total transparency they want an audit every 30 days they want no duration more than 12 months on any asset holding up the coin. So that means T-bills on average are going to be seven, eight month duration and U.S. dollars backing it. And that's the same kind of rule you're going to find in a Schwab money market or a Fidelity money market or any money market fund with the benefit of all of these systems, once you put policy in place, having the ability to be a payment system. So I would love to see this happen. And the reason I think you'll get policymakers on both sides of the aisles backing this one thing, after the midterm elections is this guarantees making the U.S. dollar the currency of default in perpetuity. Once you back the U.S. dollar on a stable coin, everybody's going to want to use it. I'm not going to use the Chinese one. I'm not going to use the Swiss franc. I'd be worried about liquidity. I'm not going to use the euro. The euro's all over the map. I'm certainly not not want nothing to do with Russia, and I'm not going to use the British pound. I want the U.S. dollar to be a payment system that everybody else will accept around the world like they do for commodities like oil. It's priced on the U.S. dollar. So if we get stable coin policy, you talk to any policymaker about this, they get the joke in two seconds. It's so simple to understand this. Some of the issuers will become FDIC insured. They'll be like a bank. Others will say, no, I don't want to be FDIC insured. And we'll have a plethora of different offerings all around the same policy. So I can choose maybe I'll put some money into the Fidelity one. I'm saying the same thing I do right now. I put dollars into the Oppenheimer money market. I put money into Schwab's money market. So the same thing will happen on stable coins. Now, we just have to wait for policy. And right now in USDC, the one that's holding the buck, rock solid, $54 billion in assets, right through the week, right through the correction. No problem with liquidity. I wrote more contracts this week on it. So look, there's a lot of people interested in making this work. I think we'll get policy there first.
0: So you heard it there first and we successfully pulled it off. Makes (laughs) up for my, my headphone blunder in the beginning, but so, so guys advanced. (laughs) Thank you. Like, so what do you think? Like, you know. You heard what he said. Obviously regulation is clearly coming because of all the disasters we've seen with stablecoins across the ecosystem. Like how does this change decentralization? How does this change like Algo stables, like what, you know, basically all of Tron's TVL is right now. And and how does this change kind of what happens going forward for, you know, you know, Bebas, I think maybe you have aspirations of of having a stablecoin like like what does this do for the industry overall?
4: I mean, I think it just makes USDC Different. I don't know what they're gonna regulate exactly, like how much reach the US government has as far as crypto is concerned. Historically, legislation like this hasn't gained a lot of traction, whether you know it actually be implemented or not. I mean I would be interested to see like centralized stable coins are already centralized, you know, USDT, USDC to a certain extent die. So it, it would just be a matter of them becoming even more Reliable, even more transparent, but you know we'll still have decentralized options, and we'll still have ways to lever decentralized assets in degenerate ways you know worst case scenario, they have to call them something different than a stable coin to avoid you know persecution or whatever, but really, you know at the end of the day, it will change almost nothing for us. This will probably change the institutional game a little, I imagine, and we'll keep on chugging like. A lot of the reduction in stablecoin market cap is just like, you know, people getting liquidated, people getting margin called, people having to pay off loans because every stablecoin is essentially a loan. You know, it's just like a representative of of some collateral elsewhere, you know, used for leverage to gain yield or or whatever, whatever have you. So, yeah, I I think it won't affect anything for us. Um, I think the thing
3: that that you just said, like the like it, the ones that don't represent collateral anywhere are the, are the main issue. And I mean, that's, that was like the big change in regulations is I think you can't have somebody like Luna say that they're a stable coin bag, nothing. Like yeah. You have to have some sort of collateral backing your your coin. And I think you're that's also true. right. Like it, it depends on what you call it because like if you're, whether or not you're selling securities has to a lot to do with like, the offer that you're making people to buy them. If you're saying buy this thing, because it's going to go up in value and you will own part of it, that makes it a security. But if you present it differently, maybe it doesn't necessarily fall under those rules. So I could see it being the same thing. If you say it's a stable coin, you have to have some sort of collateral or backing for it. And there's still like money markets can still be profitable and there's still like ways to construct them creatively, I think, but then, I'm sure that people will still be able to do their own token and call it, you know, something different and have different mechanics behind it, but yeah.
4: Well, people will find loopholes and like, you know, probably like they can't legislate against equations or algorithms or things like that. Like and they're not going to classify, you know, basis cash forks as malware. I don't think we're going to see something like that, like, you know, persecuting this stuff. Really, it's just all of this is probably in support of users so that they can file civil suits and be successful. That's like, or, I think, the main thing.
3: Or even making a choice, like if some if if a, if let's say USDC decides that they want to follow all the regulations and that they start getting audited however often and people come in and look at their books and make sure that they have this amount of collateral, and done whatever. And then maybe Tether decides they're not going to do that. And, you know, and then, but they're going to do, they're still going to try and operate within the law, but not call it a stable coin or something. And then there's some other project that's just like doing something crazy. Part of that also just depends on where customers and consumers want to put their money like are you in that scenario are you going to go with tether who decided to do go unregulated circle who decided to be regulated or someone who's just like totally off the books and the level of risk that people perceive is going to be different in that scenario and you know probably the level of return that people are being promised you know coincides with the level of risk and some people are okay with maybe losing everything to to get some huge gain That might turn out to be a Ponzi scheme. And, you know, maybe some other people want to go with something that's like safer. And all of this is still going to carry risk. And I have no idea what Circle or Tether or any of the other ones would decide to do. But I think that's a big part of it too, is like outside of whether people like, you know, getting sued or having, you know, the law come after you for doing something. It also just gives consumers more options in terms of what they're what they trust, I think.
4: Yeah,
1: there, there, there's another angle here. So most people know Kevin O'Leary from his entertaining role on Shark Tank. But what most people don't know is his biggest business is funds management. He owns O'Leary Funds Management and O'Shares Investments. The products that those businesses provide are money market funds and index funds. And he
4: uses
1: <laughs> his, his celebrity to, to 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 get assets under management from a lot of retail investors, right? This is his biggest business, and that's why he's on CNBC, and that's why he spent the whole week on Capitol Hill talking to legislators. So, you know, when you hear, you need to know who your counterparty is. So when he's talking about legislation and he's talking about, you know, all of these things, he's coming at it from a different angle. People like him and the big banks want legislation because they want the ability to provide products to people that have an appetite for stablecoins, right, under the guise of, you know, whatever mission DeFi is under. So people like this are, are talking to senators and congressmen, and they're going to help draft the legislation. And the legislation will be drafted in a way that ensures that they can capture some of the value. And in order for them to capture some of the value, it would need to outlaw and prosecute everything that is not within that system. And that cannot be dismissed by ideologues in, in in the crypto space as they can't you know, legislate against all of these different things. They're going to damn well try because Mr. O'Leary and people like him would like their management fee. And they're probably going to get it because they're going to Capitol Hill while the guys in our space are fleeing... Panama, right? So that this is the real discussion here around what happens next. It's not going to be pretty for us. It's going to resemble what happened in the '80s on Wall Street when everything got deregulated or regulated in one way or another to ensure that value flowed to institutions. And there's plays you can make if you recognize that. As long you know, you need to get over the or get past the, what is morally right and what we would like to see happen, but there is money to be made if you operate within that framework. And that's where O'Leary's is coming from, plain and simple.
0: Yeah. 24, do you, as a, as a revenant credit, and, you know, supporter, do you think this kind of derails or could devalue kind of what they're trying to do with decentralization? That's, you know, that's not backed by USD in the, the stablecoin market. You're on mute, bro.
2: Oh, yeah i'm muted sorry first of all i like what <laughs> they've been doing I've been muted the first yeah <laughs> they're really safe right they're really uh, they take their their stable coin seriously and what you can borrow with it so i love that i actually wanted to talk about just the whole you know stable coin market cap right everything you know maybe i screen share this if i could quickly do that yeah this is safe to share if yeah, so we've just gone straight up for years in terms of stable coins. I've only seen like a recent sort of correction on on USDT, like kind of in May, remember, with the FUD. But in that same sort of time, USDC kind of picks up where USDT is, I guess, redeemed, right? So I don't see anything getting slowed down. I do appreciate the government, you know, trying to get some transparency and a little bit of regulation because, you know, these are huge asset classes where. You know, we don't know really what's going on behind the scenes, like up to date, because sometimes they do have some audits and stuff like that. But Kevin O'Leary, he he gives me gives me bag holder vibes. I don't know why. I don't know if he <laughs> recently got into yeah. crypto, but he's working yeah. hard. I I flipping love it. I'm a big fan of his, obviously from everything else he does, and he's like a real bull man. Like he. Will really try to make his money. If he loses a hundred bucks, he gets pissed. But yeah, stable coins market percentage right now is is about almost twenty percent of the whole cryptocurrency market cap. Whereas last year it was probably I think twelve percent, and it's just been going up steadily. Twenty twenty was the low for the stable coins, I believe. It w- it wasn't doing too good, so. Overall, man, people are just putting money into it. So it makes sense. And and Eric, what's been going on with you? I've been reading the chat. I don't know if everything's okay there. <laughs> 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 I just
3: wanted to say I've been noticing
2: that. Poor
4: Eric. I, do I think, think seeing that... the YouTube video is probably really shocking.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <The, the>, uh, <laughs> I think that the U.S. government, though, is probably also interested in the same things that he was saying, which is that If there's going to be a stable coin, they would much prefer that it be a U.S. dollar backed stable coin, and so absolutely regulations that help ensure that, while also promoting the use of that stable coin to to help secure the U.S. dollar's position, is probably something that they're they're interested in doing. So
1: very good point. Making
3: sure that they they get that done before there's a euro stable coin that takes over, or one or whatever. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Cool so uh, on to some phantom specific stuff. so spooky swap farm migration to V2 was announced I believe yesterday and effectively the, the project uh, you know projects can come in and add incentives from their own treasury on top of the, the boot rewards without governance so you don't have to go through you know, the process of getting the, uh, the boot governance sort of appealing to the governance holders and, and getting that voted through. I believe there's going to be zapping enabled in, on the farms and also a harvest all rewards, upgrade, you know, am I missing anything, Beavis? Is there anything else that, that is coming? I mean, the this? most
4: important thing, multi-rewarder, that's a kind of, unless you said that, but yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes, I can. Yes. Okay, dope. But yeah, with multi-rewarder, Eerie, I mean, SpookySwap is one of the highest volume exchanges or DEXs in crypto. Really, really desirable to be listed there. Really, really desirable to have a farm there. And now users can, or, or clients, I guess in this case, can emit their own token on SpookySwap using MasterChef V2. And that I think is going to be really massive just because it will reduce a lot of the pressure on Boo to maintain liquidity. And it'll probably be a lot more cost efficient and teams will get way more eyes on their farms if it's hosted on SpookySwap. So if there's a new farm, you're getting plugged directly into the SpookySwap audience and you're going to be emitting those Tokens anyway, on your own website in a lot of cases, so it's just a lot easier to emit them through spooky swap, and then that saves spooky swap money, reduces sell pressure on their end, and that just kind of makes their lives way easier because they've been subsidizing all their liquidity since day one, pretty much, so there there are like some instances of you know partner farms, this that, the other, but this will allow them to go pedal to the metal with that strategy, and that strategy alone like will introduce so much opportunity for growth because you're talking all right now fundamentally the boo token is a lot stronger if they can execute on this plan so all of the emissions are now denominated in another token or a lot of the emissions are boo token with less supply growth there will be better price because comparatively demand will grow optimal price will move kind of up the curve um and then you get to a point where now the boot token is becoming more scarce. There's less float. It's harder to get your hands on it. And therefore, dollar-denominated interest goes up because pools are still getting the same amount of emission, so it can absorb more liquidity. And when dollar-denominated interest goes up, liquidity deepens as people race to the pools to dilute that yield to market rate. And it's just like a huge win, and that creates positive feedback loops. It's It's like you know kind of when you're a protocol manager and you're you're trying to adjust parameters to make your token economy more successful it's it's really all about making the small changes necessary to get demand growth higher than supply growth and and this gives them the tool they need to do that which is really exciting and and you know it kind of Goes really well with their like super decentralized mission. They're kind of sticking to the SushiSwap playbook, but executing a little bit better, which is like, you know, kind of their specialty at this point. So really, really great move. Very simple move. But the potential here is astronomical. And a lot of the potential is not like development, heavy development isn't required to actualize it. So it's it's a lot of marketing and business development work, which is relatively inexpensive work, and they have the protocol and the size and the traffic to to really ease things up. So great, I think this will kind of bring in a new horizon over the next two, three, four months for Spooky Swap, and and we're just going to see it get better and better and better. And yeah, these these small technical changes, when you have the volume and the usership Spooky Swap does, can just like really break things open. And, and now a lot of the revenue. They're generating isn't, you know, diminished by supply growth or inflation of the spooky token. So, yeah, it, it's just uh, there will come a point where demand growth surpasses supply growth up to these $10, $20 marks. And it's just a matter of time and it's just a matter of business development. And, yeah, I'll, hopefully I can plug in and, you know, give give Yuri some of our our research and math so we can really optimize shit so that our coins can go upwards.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> this, this changed something for Reaper, right? I, mean, I saw you put out a tweet that, that you had upgraded your, you know, the Reaper yeah. vault as yeah. a result. It, was, of it was a
4: nice opportunity because Spooky Swap was our first release or among our, our first set of releases. And this gives us a chance to upgrade to our most modern vault architecture. So we could have migrated this strategy and and performed like an upgrade, but it would have taken five days. It like would have been upgrading and and the vault would have stayed the same which is you know outdated I mean it's fine technology it's just it doesn't have the the raw power that our current infrastructure does so now we've got current infra definitely if if you want to participate in the spooky swap pop into our strategies on reaper.farm and that like we're going to be the best place to engage with spooky swap our v1 strats are awesome and our security infra is uh, better than anybody else's apparently based (laughs) on past events so yeah i think we're 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 pretty killer in that category
2: uh throwback question divas do you do you remember the the first lps on or i guess the vaults I think it might have been some some spooky ones, some spirit ones, maybe Waka, Zoo. Those spooky are the first three.
4: Spooky Spirit Waka. Those were the wow. first three.
2: I remember the um, colors: it was the yellow, blue, and green. Y'all.
4: Yeah, well, Spooky was purple and oh. and Spirit Swap was like a pale green, very tasteful. <laughs> Waku was like a bright neon nasty yellow. I probably <laughs> only say nasty because I have PTSD from my Wackle bags, <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> yeah, I you remember when the the little crypts before there was more info, they were like really tiny and and compact. Those were we we have screenshots yeah. from the Alpha somewhere, but yeah, really cute and entertaining.
2: Ba- back then we were supposed to be billionaires off Waka. Uh, dude, worked <laughs> dude out.
4: remember? Remember eight developers backed by Harry Yeh? Dubai. <laughs> it was like, it was, it, 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 yeah, it was like Harry Yeh had a meeting with them in Dubai and said they were the best developers in the whole world, and there were eight of them.
2: They, they apparently, I heard the actual, you know,
4: treatment. dude, I heard they Sorry died. To go on
2: a tangent. No, they, they didn't die. Apparently, it was a big like i guess companies i guess projects set of interns that made waka like they sent their interns to do it so technically like it was from a larger project but you know just the little guys making it
4: when we when we realized waka was Kaka, it was like so they were having problems with the front end their front end it was ridiculous me and the crow and goober were all invested in them so we were like, all right. It, it was weeks, and, and their front-end issues still weren't fixed. You, you opened the console, and it was just error, 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 error. So Crow literally asked for their code base. He fixed all the errors, and he shipped it back to them, and they like didn't merge the PR. And, and he like literally fixed the whole thing. They didn't merge the PR and then started being like rude and stopped talking to us. And that's when it all we realized it was like, dude, maybe this is not eight developers, maybe it's eight guys on Fiverr, you know. But
2: <laughs> uh, okay, last time. A- a- meeting
4: was so bullish. It was like I oh, know. Bro. I know. <laughs> when,
2: when I realized they were not good is when a, when I went there. I, I went to complain about just how they did some airdrop, or me and my buddy, and my buddy goes in. It's like this isn't fair. And they told them, "Well, if you don't like that, why don't you go to the bank for a higher APR?" Dude, dude,
4: <laughs> dude! They they like scam me so bad on the airdrop too. I was just like, "Oh, this is probably bullish because they're not releasing as many tokens as they said they would. This is good." I was coping so bad. It was bad. <laughs> still, people still fuck with me about Waka. I was like, I was pretty bullish on them. <laughs> Rip.
0: Well. Episode 45 we're still here and I guess we're still waiting to become billionaires on on the walk-a. Yeah, Guys, I don't know I don't know what's going on with the chat. I, I can't see any new comments. I don't know if you guys are seeing new comments on your side but oh, it I'm might, not seeing anything scroll.
1: Bear market, man. Track.
0: It's a bear market. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you guys are saying stuff I can't see it, I don't know about, I don't know about the rest of you. Yeah, here are yeah all- there's okay. comments. There's comments, It's I'll just, open the uh,
4: YouTube, yeah. Link here.
0: So uh, the last thing I'll say on the spooky swap thing, if you if you have an LP on there, you actually have to, you know, some of them are now inactive. So You need to go and extract your LP and and re re deposit if you are using that and you haven't done it already. So awesome. So on to the next. So this is an interesting one. So Phantom TVL is 796 million. Now the ninth layer one chain in TVL overall. Jeez. I, yeah. yeah. I, I did some some digging just to kind of figure out like where, where are we sitting and, 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 you know. So Phantom is now behind Waves in TVL. Waves has five protocols. Phantom has 255 protocols. What was interesting to me was like Ave for instance, 2.3 billion of their 4.7 billion, I think it is, TVL is... Is or excuse me, Avax, 2.3 billion of their of their TVL is Ave. There's 7.96 million on Phantom from Ave. And then Viries, I think that's what it's called, has 1.2 billion on Waze, which makes up like 78% of their entire TVL. So these lending protocols are getting majority of of stablecoin borrowing, and it's driving like I think Ave's forty-five percent of AVAX's total TVL. So you know, so you know, what do you guys make of this like you know and, and what will it take you know at least for those two chains with the lending you know we we lost the majority of ours when with you know the scream debacle and a bunch of other things, but you know what what do you think it's going to take to come back from this on on the
1: Ave thing, there's probably a, a a segment of people that blame Bebus because granary is effectively an Ave fork, but the real reason Ave stopped doing shit on Phantom is you know they 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 deploy. And then the story was that they had 6 million in incentives from the foundation to help incentivize liquidity and get people from other chains to come to Phantom. So once that disappeared, it's no surprise that, you know, Aave just said, hey, there's plenty of other places for us to do business, and they focus on other chains. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I'm just an outsider looking in. But, you know, the broader point of Phantom TVL underperforming other chains with less activity. You know, I think I saw a chart where it, it, it tracked a bunch of different metrics. One of them was transactions. And 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 Phantom was really, really high up on the chart. I think it might have been one of the highest behind an Ethereum. I think then it was Phantom, but TVL-wise, it's very, very low. So when you see it underperforming, you have to think of, you know, what structurally changed over the last six months on Phantom that hasn't occurred anywhere else. And you really need to run it back to, you know, the incentives drying up and and the 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 you know the motivation for people building or investing in phantom kind of dries up along with it so that's kind of what i'd hang my hat on in terms of answering why that might be it's got nothing to do with the talent on the chain it's got nothing to do with activity you can see transactions like what has changed that that you can isolate to that specific chain and you go back to builders aren't being incentivized to build so they're going to optimism and they're going to uh, you know avalanche and they're going to waves and wherever else. So it's kind of a very simple equation in my mind. I don't need to get too complicated around explaining it. Yeah.
4: I think Phantom, the exciting thing about Phantom coming onto it was, all right, this is a team that we can build alongside and build with. And, you know, they... You know their balance sheet exploded when Phantom exploded, obviously. So, so then they were like sharing that, and it's like, oh, dude, we're we're in this together. And I th- think to a certain extent, like maybe if if nobody received incentives, there wouldn't be like as much.
1: No, I don't. I don't.
4: Not. Yeah, it, th- there wouldn't be as much hoopla about it. But you know, it it's at a point where there are other chains with very similar value propositions. That have you know more developer outreach, that are working a lot closer with us, that are willing to you know match incentives or talk about you know ways to promote sustainability, longevity, and improve communication. And, and it's just at a point like where a lot of the companies on Phantom, we grew on Phantom to a certain size where the foundation doesn't can't really like support businesses of our size at, at like you know, even just a communications level. It's like we need a lot to ensure, okay, we're we're going through, you know, this much development, we're doing this much stuff. We need this amount of interfacing so that we can make sure we're on the same page and we're we have the same goals and we can rely on you for this, that, the other. And I don't think I think they are improving. I think they're they're making effort, but it's just not enough to make Phantom like a place to be exclusively. And yeah. I want to say like some of the best DeFi companies in the entire industry were built on Phantom. You know, you can talk about the Beethoven's, you can talk about the Bite Masons, you know, Spooky Swap, Liquid Driver, Tarot. Like these are people that build. Ruthlessly and follow best practice in a way that you don't really see outside of Ethereum. And even on Ethereum, the the drive seems to be gone. There, there seems to be a lot of complacence there. So, you know, maybe in some way it was inevitable that Phantom was kind of sidelined and in, in you know developer roadmaps and and it is also access to like venture capital you know being being grassroots is really easy when you're three people but when you're trying to support you know a staff of 35 36 37 then it just having access to capital is is massive and, and having access to financial tooling you know now that we've got all these entities and and we're dealing with all these contracts xyz it just it, it, it's just I think people are outgrowing Phantom yeah. to a certain extent,
1: which is good for smaller projects. It's a competitive yeah. marketplace, Justin. And and the same way that investor capital will go where it's treated best, so will builders and developers. And, and as a result, you see the lagging indicator in TBL. Yeah. You know, we, we made this point three, four, five months ago when, when it first <sighs> happened, and now you, you see it in the numbers. And there's no surprise there. And, you know, I remember when I was watching this channel and it was all about, you know, uh, this Ethereum project's coming to phantom and that Ethereum project's coming to phantom and all of these massive yep. projects were all coming to phantom. Now it's all these phantom projects are going elsewhere. It's not a coincidence. And I know like, you know, we don't really want to harp too much about negative, you know, commentary around the foundation, but but that's the reality. If you want to talk about why TVL is underperforming, you don't need to go too far. You know, the simplest yep. solution is is the correct one here. The simplest answer. I mean, so we that's can't... Just The
2: builder perspective. Sorry, I, I like just the builders, right? Imagine the investors. Like from an investor perspective, like people. Let's be honest. People come to networks for yield, airdrops, money. They're not buying your gas token. That's just what it is. Every time people talk about, well, that market cap to TVL ratio, it's so good. It looks like a great <laughs> opportunity. No, people just don't want your gas token. Give me a little. I'll do my transactions with it. People come in here for opportunities, and we had quite a bit for That's a
4: right. little bit. Yeah.
2: With the Solidity yeah. stuff with all the action the
4: scam by the way.
2: Yeah. yeah. And now look now. Look at the Phantom users. Did you guys know that 85% of all current addresses are in the loss for Phantom? Did you guys know that?
0: In the what? That, oh oh 85% oh, yeah.
2: of addresses are are have lost money on Phantom.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd be surprised if it wasn't similar stats across all chains with with where the market is. But AS said, and we can't. Sorry, yeah, guys, we. That's the just also.
2: I agree. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. I just yeah. meant like in terms of stuff like Bitcoin, where there's like still sixty to seventy percent of people in the money right. and Ethereum and such, such and such. I'm just saying, in a sense, where not many people are buying the gas token, and the people that are buying them are are down unless they've sold right i'm just saying yeah. as a as a regular investor i talk to people oh i've been on cosmos the last two months i haven't paid attention to phantom just soaking up airdrops and that's just how retail investors not even just retail just regular investors are if there's money there there's incentives for the projects and stuff that's where people stick and you yeah. can see it in the the all chains tbl
0: yeah i mean AS said, and sorry guys, the the comments are somehow broken. But AS said, you know, solidly release Andre Rage quit. Twenty four. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes, yes I, can. I can. Yeah, yeah, you're
4: uh, good.
0: good. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, solidly release Andre Rage quit, and and some network tech upgrades. Like, where's the narrative? And so he's not he's not far off, you know. With that, you know, on on the positive side, like let's say let's say three different scenarios. Phantom Foundation pulls off this new grants program or it takes off. Do you think that that changes this entire conversation? Sure.
4: Not really. In fact, I mean, like this isn't the time to release like a grants program, you know, and like I will, like I've always said, the foundation is really good at not blowing their load when it's disadvantageous to do so. I think they do make like strategic decisions that are sensible. You know, I I like to think like we're never not going to be on Phantom. You know, we're never not going to serve Phantom users because Phantom is a good place to build. It's cheap. It's really, really easy. They have all of the infrastructure you need. It is good, you know, on on the whole. It, It is just kind of like a narrative issue where... What is the, what is their mission? What is their purpose? Why are they going to be here five to ten years from now in a sea of ever increasing competition? And you know, I, I think their tech roadmap is good. I think the FVM will probably be pretty cool. But it's like, you know, all all that I have as as both an investor, a user, and a business owner on the chain is like. There's only uncertainty and there's there's a certainty like in the steps that it will take to reach X, Y, Z place. But what if you don't reach X, Y, Z place technically? What if it's impossible? What if the trade-offs end up not making sense once you go to test? What is happening on the business side to compensate? And you look at like Polygon has always been an extreme example of business development You know, and Polygon, I think in terms of like technicals, the foundation has a better roadmap than Polygon, a more sensible roadmap than Polygon. Polygon relied on acquisitions throughout the bull market to handle their tech development. And and even then, it's not like the most impressive thing in the world. But Polygon, you know, it doesn't matter because their business development has given them a crazy long Time horizon, because there—I mean, you know—part of it is like you know. You remember like 2017, 2018, 2019. Everybody's partnering with all these Fortune 500 companies, and then like, what is the reality of all that? But there is like a certain twinge of reality to this stuff now, and and it it makes me, as someone who is in this industry, like confident that they'll be around a long time, simply because they have a lot of interconnectedness with with people with really strong interests in the space. And, And Phantom is kind of like a little island. There's not really a ton of like interconnectedness and and now that that could be a good thing to a certain extent you know maybe a lot of the you know status quo on ethereum vc space l2s l1s like crumbles and they're left without being exposed to that sort of contagion which i think was was a nice part like we had a contagion of our own but it was fully on chain and unwound honestly pretty safely pretty pretty well Um, we just got dumped on, which you know we're we're probably most most of us are used to that by now. We <laughs> I, I think I think they they just need to find like something that can give users and business owners like assuredness that if if they can't meet their technical goals, then they have other stuff going on. They have multiple streams of advantage or revenue. And and for a while it was like, oh, they're going to be like partnering with hospitals and, and doing all this. They have all this crazy adoption. And after the, the, I forget, like Turkmenistan or whatever it was, after yep. that thing, after the government came out and was like, we're actually not associated with them. We're not doing anything CBDC related. That was like, oh, is this all like just, you know, a song and dance. And, and that, that is where I was left there. And then, and then now the only narrative is, is the technical narrative. And, you know, we all know how difficult it is to execute on ambitious software goals. And I think, They're iterating in a really intelligent manner. We're seeing improvements every quarter. But we know there's a big monster at the end of that tunnel that is like, can you actually go from, we have a better database now, we have SnapSync, we have these cool quality of life features, to we have an entirely new paradigm. Like the jump from this to new paradigm, FVM, you know, is... is, not easy. Yep. Yep. And and so, I would like to see more than just that. As exciting as that is, it's now kind of their only horse. Yeah, in, so in the
1: I got a question. I, I got a question. So, right now, I can transact on Phantom and pay five in gas fees, right? It goes through, it's fast, it's reliable. It's so, fine. why do I care if that gets twice as good or twice as fast? Is that necessary? Like there's there's the law of diminished returns here in in terms of performance on on the tech roadmap, and if and if trade offs are being made to execute on the tech roadmap, where business development or investments in other areas are being left behind, to chase you know puff the magic dragon, does that matter? Like you know, does chain get better? It's not user scalability. I
4: think I think if you're if you're a business and you're building infrastructure on a chain and your time horizon is three, four, five plus years, and you our existence, our success depends on the next ten hundred million, thousand million, you know, ten thousand million users being ten billion. You know, we need technology that's prepared to scale to that level. So that's and important. and yeah that that's and and when you're just transacting and we're when you're a user, Phantom is awesome, and that's why we're here, and that's why we're gonna stay here because they have created probably one of the best user experiences period it's just the developer experience, the business developer experience, the you know strategist as far as like you know roadmap planner experience is not great because there's too much uncertainty as a user, Phantom is freaking dope right now. But when it starts busting at the seams and it doesn't have a a plan for scalability or some of its plans fall through, that's when things kind of go to shit because you've kind of hamstrung yourself as a business because now your business can't scale because the network you've poured all your your time and energy into can't scale, and that's why we diversify, and you know Phantom and has a mission know, like, and i I think their mission is strong they just you know was,
3: I was gonna say it's not a anymore. it's not yeah. unique to phantom either like. If you people, if you look at the number of transactions and Phantom is doing as many or more transactions than Ethereum and everyone knows Ethereum and it's the big, you know, the big EVM chain in the room, the number of a million transactions per day is not very many, like NASDAQ is handling 3 million per second or something like that, or whatever it is, like there's like the, the scale that, that you're, viewing things through definitely like matters. So when there's a lot of liquidations and there's lots of arbitrage bots that doesn't take one second on phantom all the time and it doesn't cost, you know, too way. Yep. It, it, it has skyrocketed in terms of transaction costs and time. So making sure that, you know, that might not necessarily be the consensus algorithm. Maybe, fixing some of the data structures help fixing some of the messaging layer helps revising some of the consensus over time helps but there's a lot in, you know adding you look at sharding you look there's like all, all sorts of different things l2s et etc that people look at to add scalability to blockchains but like like it's not necessarily a making it faster on an individual level Given everyday usage, it's how do you make sure that it scales under extraordinary circumstances? How do you scale when you add a bunch more users? And and all of a sudden, the liquidation events that we saw in the past that made things really slow are just like normal
1: everyday traffic. So, so we, we're problems. Hey, Clay. Yeah. Let me just jump in real quick. So sure. Mario, Mario Draghi just offered up his resignation, Italian prime minister and ex-ECB president. This is a trend that you're going to see continue as people – get pissed off that they can't pay their bills and they turn on the government and they swap to something else. And as we saw what happened in 2016 in the US, the thing that they're going to swap for is something drastically different than what's currently in place because they want change. So we're about to see a lot more turmoil in the geopolitical landscape, especially in Europe where these gas prices are literally going to cause turmoil because germany had a, a had a winning hand and they completely messed it up and got outplayed but yeah. sorry to cut you off clay
0: no no worries that's that's a great update it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out on a macro geopolitical perspective yeah. so just just re- resetting the stage of how we got here we originally were talking about Phantom's tvl is down to 796 million how can we how can we get back to you know multiple billions in tvl not be the ninth chain it sounds like you know from the foundation's perspective there are real requirements and needs to have technical upgrades to be able to scale for enterprise level, you know, you know, fits effectively. Yeah. Now if we that, don't need Disney. That's- Right. We don't well, if that doesn't do become that. the case, then your narrative falls apart. <laughs> and BBC naturally segued us, segued us into the Polygon discussion. Where I remember back in May, I wrote a thread about about business development specific stuff. Go get your scotch, on saying you know because Facebook had put out an announcement in May saying they're they're joining Polygon to integrate Polygon NFTs into the Meta Marketplace for for their you know their marketplace. So clearly, Polygon is doing something well in the BD department dating back to, to May of this year and now the Disney accelerator program. So, you know, I, I, find this to be fascinating. I think, you know, in a lot of ways to Nick's point earlier, like at some point, you know, opt or, or like kind of the psyops perspective, like people aren't going to know what chain they're on, you know, in the end of all of this anyway. Yeah. And so these partnerships, you know, they, they, they do probably matter. You know, I guess and my question, I guess, would be like, what do you contribute this to? Just a really great biz dev team, a fantastic corporate strategy, or you know, or something otherwise. Having the right VC
4: connections, likely, is how it starts. You know, and Phantom doesn't need to be Polygon. You know, Polygon is trying to be like, you know, Forever Twenty One chain or whatever. It's trying to be like, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a place for everyone. And, and I, the the UX on Phantom is better. I think the tech roadmap on Phantom is better, even. If they can't execute on FVM, which I, you know, they they hired Bernard, they're obviously really committed. I just know it's like going to be a, a huge challenge. And, you know, like Phantom is is a really serious blockchain on the business side. It's like, you know, we are here because the tech roadmap is good. It's kind of no frills. They're, you know. On the business development side and, like, the application development side, there's been some weirdness, but that's always kind of been peripheral. It's just been, like, a side narrative. You know, the side narratives are crumbling a little bit, and, you know, maybe that's a good thing. And and we've talked about Phantom needing to kind of distill their, their message, but I think, like... Nobody nobody really knows what the Foundation wants, you know. I, I couldn't tell you what they really want for their chain. And I'm not sure it's well-defined because it hasn't really been communicated. And, you know, I like the team. It, it's just I would very much like their non-technical team members to figure out why the hell Phantom needs to exist. It's kind of the common, like problem, you know, you, you, you think about blockchain, it's like, what, what are you solving? What is Phantom trying to solve? And so far, it's been kind of the generic blockchain stuff, you know, and that's been reflected in like, oh, we're partnering with, you know, hospitals and pharmaceutical companies, yada, yada, yada. But like, you know, what is your mission? Byte Masons have a mission, you know, we want to increase accessibility and transparency of financial institutions. Easy you know what what does phantom stand for why do their you know employees come to work every day why are they hustling and bustling and and you know giving their time to us because without that it's like you know what are they doing what are they doing
0: yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I, these, i'm
4: being i'm being hypercritical and i know they don't like that and you know i really i really do like appreciate the work they've done yeah but Man,
0: is, like,
3: directing this at, like a different direction i've also like in conversations that i've had with different people i i I have found it really interesting. Like when people say, Oh, we have decided we want to use Solana for this. And I'll ask them why. And it usually is some combination of FTX. It's really fast. They say something about Visa and like all of that kind of boils down to like VC marketing money to me, because like they're just sort of repeating things that they've obviously been told by someone else as part of a marketing pitch that that aren't necessarily like, I don't, know that solana is necessarily any cheaper than using phantom or or you know some of the other low-cost networks that are out there or l2 options so it's interesting to see when people have like decided to put their project on something and the reasoning for it is a lot of times not actually technical when i'm when i'm talking it's just it's this is true of a lot of different networks the reason that people are picking it is sort of because that's somebody approached them and it explained how their project would work on that network. And so I think it does, it does sort of matter like who who's invested and who's out there doing your, your marketing for you. Cause it seems like on Solana, at least, if there is VC money, there's people invested in Solana, they're pitching other companies to put their stuff on Solana too.
0: So I, I totally I totally agree with you, Double Sharp. And, and the clip you didn't see in that Kevin O'Leary segment was about the three-minute mark. He mentioned that he's invested in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and and Polygon. So really, Mike? Wow. Yeah. My, my guess would be that if you've got these type of partnerships, look, I've worked for Fortune 500 companies. We've landed huge clients built effectively nothing for them that really, you know, of any merit or substance, but you throw it in a pitch deck and you go into the next huge client and that's the name, brand and, and like notoriety that you use to take the market. So if it's nothing more than that, it's still valuable because at least you get other people who maybe don't know as much or care about the tech to start building on, you know, on your you know software or blockchain or whatever it may be. So I think that, you know, I, I got to give Polygon a lot of credit, you know, Facebook, Disney, those are, those are huge names. So, yes. so Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's an interesting approach. And and at this point in the market maturity, I actually think it's one that pays off because you can flash it around and use it to to get other partnerships and things like that. So, 24, did you have anything you want to add, buddy, before we move on? Nope.
2: Nothing serious, man. As you can see all by right. the shirt, man. That's
0: all there is. Holy <laughs> love it. The- yeah, lo- love this shirt. So, speaking of a team that that does know absolutely what they're where they're headed and what they're doing, Beethoven has increased, and and honestly, I wouldn't say they've increased. I think they've always kind of done this financial disclosure to users. I don't know if they come out with a full quarterly report or half-year report that I've seen to date, but they've always been very transparent with their Concerto programs and and sort of everything they put out. and I, And I love what they do. And so, you know, if you didn't catch the latest, this is in their medium. And I think Nick, you probably I think you wrote. A thread about it that we have but i'll i digress and and kind of what's the importance of this and, and where does it take the crypto space in terms of maturity just want to let you know quickly
1: chat's yeah. working if you want to pull it up stop really I, yeah yeah Oh, oh back. i can see it i can see the chat yeah yeah Boom. yeah so look we with beethoven you know the five of us on here have all, all got very good things to say about them top tier team they they, they executed a really high level but as an investor the level of disclosure that they provide on the financial side is something that is very rare in the space. And, you know, you can have as many announcements as you want and as many deck talks as you want. But at the end of the day, you know, we want to see some numbers. And, 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 you know, Beethoven went and hired Suvlaki, um, who's, you know, their financial controller or CFO. I'm not sure of his title, but he handles this stuff. And he's from the traditional financial world, very skilled guy. I've talked to him a few times And, you know, in building these reports and and getting all this information, it's actually, you know, he mentioned to me that it is challenging at times to get standardized data across the industry, whether he's trying to compare, you know, benchmarks in the industry or trying to compare with competitors. And this information just doesn't exist. And I think, you know, on the back of this turmoil, I would hope that disclosures increase on the financial side across the industry. Because I just think it builds trust. You know, transparency is is very rarely a bad thing. But I did talk to a few people about it. And, you know, the, the position was posed to me that I didn't think of on my own, which was people will only disclose what they are legally obliged to disclose. Without, in the absence of regulation, you're going to struggle to get DeFi protocols to disclose financial information and you know not to put justin on the spot here because the level of his disclosure is is fairly high and you know we all trust him and you know we know that he's doing what he can to further the space but Uh, is that is that a fair point justin in terms of disclosures no i mean our
4: suvlaki has been advising us to like help get our disclosures up to their level like it's like crazy crazy impressive and you know never had like Having a token, like we've we've never really been in a situation where you need, like, where you have so much accountability. So we've been trying to like wiggle our way to like the level of of Suvlaki and we're probably going to be lagging a few months behind because he, he's been working on his stuff and he's advising. But I totally agree. I think like as an investor, like I want to know how people are doing. I want to know what their projections are. I want to know like, you know if, if they're still investable, because I think, you know, I, I like USDC because I like, there's a lot of, a big absence of information, you know, I invest in Oath because I know what's going on. And uh, I think probably a lot of, a lot of investors and users feel the same way. So of course Suv is here, but yeah, he, he's an, he's an absolute beast. When I think like Everybody should be following his example, like MakerDAO, their financial reports are something we look at a lot. And we're automating a lot of our reporting, which is like a big effort in and of itself. But... Um, yeah, we're we're getting there, and I think it is absolutely necessary. And I think if you want to be like a really really serious business, and you want to preach accountability and transparency, you need to have disclosures at this level. And and we at Bite Masons don't yet. And it's like something that you know we we
1: grind our teeth we're like we need to be as cool as Beethoven now. Uh, but Justin, uh, Justin yeah. do you think? Do do, do, do do you think there's a desire, speaking in aggregate now for the whole space, not necessarily a bite mason's discussion, but do you think there is a desire for voluntary discussions, voluntary disclosures around financials, or is the thesis that was put to me that people are only going to show what they really have to and that's it? Or is I'm, that accurate? What, are you, what do think, you hear from your peers?
4: I think a lot of it is going to be like people trying to – Like, you know, you talk about aggressive accounting, you know, people trying to frame the numbers in the most optimistic way possible or not disclose, you know, ourselves and Beethoven, I would say, like, you know, we really strongly believe in self-regulation and making sure we can abide by, you know, top, top, top standards, whether it's required or not. And I know for a fact most companies aren't going to do this. Most companies aren't even thinking about it. Most companies don't want to do it, at least in this industry. But it is, it is kind of a requirement to a certain extent. And it, there's also like a skill element to it where it's like, did you hire someone who can actually execute right. on a report like this? And, you know, that's really challenging in and of itself, you know, and... And, and,
3: and are you trustworthy enough that the information in your disclosure is real? <laughs> yeah Please, yeah right? i mean none of this is the audit, on right? there's no yeah. if there's no like yeah if there's no one looking at it if you're just like yo i have a lambo like okay i, I, think <laughs> I <have a> disclosure, <laughs> but like doesn't mean anything <laughs> necessarily so it kind of you do need to trust that the people who are doing the disclosure are tr- trustworthy or the yeah. information in it isn't really and
1: yeah. and for the for the for the for the People that work at projects that are listening over a tail duration, the market rewards disclosures like that. It might not seem that way now because you know we're not at a tail duration. Beethoven launched in October. You know, Bite Masons is like a year old. Like that's the very short term. If you extrapolate this out 24, 36 months, you're going to see a capital gravitate towards projects where more information is available versus less. So I would encourage everyone to kind of follow the lead of Beethoven and invest in in, in getting the right, you know, getting numbers and then disclosing what you feel comfortable disclosing. Because people like me will invest in you. Amen. Amen.
2: Get this fake Andre. I don't want to see his last name. Get this speaker (laughs) out
1: of here. You got me for a second. I'm like, oh, nice. What are you going to see? There's a non-zero percent chance that it's not fake. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: you know, he doesn't make YouTube videos. Stop lying, buddy.
0: Cool. So, wanted to do a quick one here. So, just, just kind of go, touching back on something we talked about two weeks ago for a quick update. So, the Phantom Ecosystem Support Vault wanted to run through a votes update. So, for those that, that didn't catch the show a couple of weeks ago, so if passed, this initiative would redirect 10% of the current 30% burn allocation towards an ecosystem support vault people can vote on that and then you know kind of it's effectively another way to reward projects with some phantom and and fund them with 10% of all network transaction fees and so i checked up on it yesterday and i think that it was supposed to be done in terms of voting on yesterday on the 13th and we had a so it needs 55% to pass a agreement rate and 22% had actually voted in total and then of that 22% 99% had said yes so my question to you guys is, how do we how do we hold some people accountable? Like, like I feel like okay. governance the,
1: the new F wall is great. What's up, man? Be, yes, sorry. Be, before one of the Justins give us a good answer. Yeah, I, I actually feel dumb on this topic. Can in, as part of that answer, can you explain why so few people participate in the vote? Do they not know about it? Do they not care? Is it all owned by three people that aren't engaged? Like. What is the mechanism that's at play that results in such a low core, you know, such a low amount of votes actually being cast?
3: I mean, I Um, can speculate. I think part of it's like, I don't know if the Phantom, like the Phantom Foundation controls a large amount of the delegated stake through their validators. So, for example, if they decided that it wasn't right for them to vote on something, By default, that means they're not voting with the weight of all their delegated stake either. So those individual stakers all have to go and vote. Generally speaking, there's a lot of people who run validators on lots of networks and they have no idea what's going on with governance on Phantom because they're just collecting rewards and putting them into some larger pot or something. There's people who might be engaged, but just not be aware of Governance votes because they're on vacation or something like that. And then thirdly, there's just there's no real incentive to vote for anything. So why spend time going and clicking on things and paying transaction fees if at the end of the day, like there's this vault that like some people are going to get that aren't you? You're not you're not directly incentivized to actually participate. So like those this is just like general governance stuff across networks, though.
4: So, okay.
1: I think like. uh, Oh, go ahead. Nope, no, no, I was, I was just saying it, it's weird because the incentive is the investment they've already put in, and you want to make sure that the direction of that investment at least goes towards a direction you're interested in. You know, vacation, I, mean, I, sure, I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm really confused about I it. I think that a big
3: part of it is just the way delegated stake works. So the, the validators are getting compensated through rewards and through commission on delegated stake rewards. So just from a economic like sort of game theory perspective that probably outweighs the amount of effort that it would take to constantly be participating in governance so like if they if their rewards were based on them being active and participating in governance then i think you'd see more people be active in governance if they if people are collecting rewards without having to do anything then that's a lot easier so even if you could maybe Have your investment be worth more. Maybe they just, there's incentives aren't necessarily aligned to make that happen. And I mentioned this before, but like the way that delegated staking works, you really, it's basically the validator operators who control most of it because the delegated stake can vote and they can override the the validator self stakes. But for the most part, the validator self stake is however many million, the delegated stake is however many million. So one validator can vote with all of those 10 million or whatever it is votes. And then I can come in and override with my thousand or my 10,000 or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it takes a lot more individual votes to ever override a validator vote. So it sort of ultimately comes down to whatever the validator operators ultimately do. And I'm actually not familiar. I don't know how the Phantom Foundation participates in governance or any of the early like nodes on Phantom, like there there were a decent majority of or I mean all of the original validator operators were either the foundation or people who participated in the early sales, and I don't know how how many of them are still running nodes, but like your rewards at that point were so high that there's very like you've sort of already gotten a huge benefit out of running a validator, like you're. Not going to get that much more right now for participating in governance because it's just not incentivized
0: well, to do that. that so I see this. I mean, I see this as a as a as a big problem though. I mean, to the foundation's credit, they spent a ton of time rebuilding the wallet. It looks really great. It's actually super easy to use. So I give them a lot of credit in the work that they've done there. I think it's now mobile friendly. It's 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 a good piece of tech. 24 you've been here for a long time on, on the phantom side i mean to me this seems like since well before my time this has been an issue like is yeah. it, it, do you like do you have any ideas of like I a mean, way we to were, solve we used this to or? be
2: able to get some votes through i remember some of the validator votes we were able to pass but if it's not like a serious big deal a lot of people are not voting and and like everyone has said here i don't want to regurgitate but we need something to incentivize these guys to vote listen if some outside party has to make a shit coin that gets sent to people that have voted on proposals <laughs> so <laughs> be it man something something needs to be done or else like yep. it's,
0: it's yeah, yeah it's exactly. astim- it's a time to growth yeah it's a time it's a time to growth and to the next point i think it's crazy because you think the folks that have validators on this network would be incentivized to make sure that the network continues to succeed with programs like putting money in people's pockets we were trying to build on your blockchain but the last you know i think well, it's, it's kind
3: of but i i mean i i think that they are but then all a lot of this if you just take an outside perspective is just based on game theory it's just economics it's pure incentives and disincentives so like the reason i'm not going to double spend as a validator operator is because all the tokens i've staked are now at risk the reason i'm going to do this is because of you know i'm going to validate correctly so that i get rewards but like to me it just says that there's not enough incentives to to encourage people to like read all of the government's proposals do research on what they actually mean to decide which way they should vote it's a lot easier to be like I'm getting rewards like I'm <laughs> like, I, it just'm gonna stay out of this because like what's the whats the advantage to me? that was good so yeah they can get, yeah it's in day
1: that, that makes sense to Justin that, that, I, I just re, been, it's been confusing me for months but, but that that makes sense
3: I mean it because if you think about it in terms of my, if I was running a validator, the amount of rewards that I'm going to get over the next year, I could. It's going to be more than what this ecosystem support fund is. So, like, I could just not vote, and at some point, just give a project some money or something. I could do it the same way, because yeah. the the rewards that are coming in are ninety percent, not ten percent. So, like, ten percent of this is going to ecosystem fund. I'm guessing it just isn't compelling enough for for validator operators, or or people who are staking to like necessarily care.
1: Yeah, I mean, with like, go on, Justin.
0: No, I was, I was, I was going to say like the many, the many flaws of DAOs. This to me is a like a systemic problem of governance just across this ecosystem that I would love to see get fixed. So, Nick, closing thoughts. Well, I mean, as
3: as another thing though, like to to sort of counter. That just because I've staked some tokens, does that mean that I understand what's best for ecosystem support funds for projects, or that I know what the best staking requirements for validators are, or really any of the governance proposals? It's sort of a you're assuming that because somebody staked something with economic value, that they're now qualified to read a governance proposal and vote on it. So maybe the 22% of people who voted are the people who actually do know and care and 99% of them voted yes. So maybe the issue is just that we don't really need a higher quorum because a lot of those people obviously don't care, maybe aren't qualified to make the decisions. So that's like sort yep. of the other perspective is like it got 99% approval. Like who cares how many people voted on it? The people who could have voted no didn't care enough to even vote. So why not just yep. go with the yes votes?
4: Yeah. I mean, I just delegation, Better governance app. I don't even know how to how the hell I'm supposed to get to the forum. There are like, you know, you shouldn't have to click through like a few different things to get to the governance. When you get to the governance, like the the UI UX is so muddy that. It it like is impossible to even tell what it is. It's just like a big wall of text. You know, you click on a proposal, the descriptions are minimal, the forum or or posts or anything like that isn't integrated. Like if you bring in anybody who knows anything about UX, they could give you, you know, a hundred ways you could improve governance as far as like accessibility, because right now it's quite inaccessible. And then, you know, on top of that, delegated voting will help a lot To to Double Sharp's point. Like the average person doesn't care, you know, I hardly care because like governance is is very obviously an afterthought, and you know, for better or worse, you know you you look at optimism, go to their forum, it's like busing, you know, it's like really, really active. <laughs> it's where all of the hard decisions get made, and it's where the protocol is being directed and talked about and and it's just like. You know, the reason dead Discord chats are hard to revive because, you know, once they're dead, who's going to, like, start talking? Who's going to go there? What's what's oh. the impetus? There isn't any. So, you know, it, it's really just a lack of focus on governance and, and a lack of caring, which, you know, it, is fine. Governance is governance, uh, you know, for, for better or worse. If it's not a focus, it's not a focus. But don't run important proposals through governance if it's not a focus. Yeah, um, yeah. Is, you is know, this, and, and who, don't who, make quorum so difficult to achieve.
1: Who's responsible for this, Beavis? Is this a foundation...
4: They've made it. Yeah, they've made it a foundation function. You know, maybe if they want to honor like snapshot, but the thing is, snapshot. I don't think it can detect network tokens. I think it only detects ERC twenty. But I mean, you know, the community could maybe come up with a solution, and I, I would say I implore them do. But expecting the community to do this stuff is, you know, without asking them or without like saying, hey, you know, we'll give you a $10,000 grant because one guy can make a better app than the F fault is right now, like one full stack dev, and he'll probably do it for pretty cheap. So throw a bounty out there, you know, and see, see who bites. And that's how this operates. That's how decentralized businesses operate. It's like, you want to get something done and you don't want to do it internally, then put up a bounty and expecting people to do it for free is like, you know, A little silly
3: I mean that's it's all all of this is incentives right like if there's no incentive to to necessarily produce something like that if if you're not gonna get benefit from it which is why I think at this point all of the forums and FBALA and all that stuff has been produced by the foundation it's also I mean it is also very Loose because like none of the governance is actually on chain. These things aren't actually being executed on chain, so they're really you're kind of just it's it's just on chain snapshot is sort of what that wallet is doing right now. And I think snapshots was did support Phantom and then stopped, and then somebody else made a fork that works with Phantom again, but I can't remember that specifically. But again, that's still just snapshot votes are still just advisory. Someone still has to go and execute them and all that stuff. So there it also depends on where you want to put the level of governance and making it fully on chain versus advisory, who can vote, all that stuff is kind of, I mean, the governance system right now is attached to the SFC, but you could attach a different governance system to it also. So I don't know necessarily all of the logic that went into the current system or if people are, but like, in theory, it could all be changed if people decided that that there was a better way of constructing it.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it like, you go through the governance page and it's just like, not only is it poorly designed UI UX wise, but like fundamentally the design is poor because, you know, it seems like they can't adjust, you know, the volume of votes they expect. Like there's no one vote to the next. It looks like parameters are just constant. You know, I'm not going to. like. I think that's just
3: because they got copied. I think you can specify a lot of that stuff. But again, like all these contracts, could, you can add different kinds of proposals and all that stuff. Yeah. So it is also just it is advisory so like you could have a different website that like you know just a modified version of snapshot or something like that instead of bothering yep. with having it on chain might make it easier to like iterate on but i again i think it also just comes down to if people actually want this and if a bunch of people started saying that they wanted it i'm sure that something yeah, could be done it would be cool if people don't I, care i no don't specific. have strong
4: opinions i can give feedback for a million years but i really i don't you know I don't care if it gets fixed. That would be awesome. If I could figure out how to get to the forum, that would be awesome. But you know, <laughs> it, I, it it won't make or break me. Luckily,
0: well, let's, let's say see something
2: how- here. You know, the government, or sorry, the presidential vote turnouts fifty percent barely. Like people barely get
4: fifty percent of people to vote for the yeah. president. And that shit is shoved in our asses a million yeah. <laughs> ways. You know, they spend millions
2: yeah. to get you to vote. Millions. Yeah. It's a great point. point. Maybe turn
4: it down a bit, you know. Good point. And we're allocating, our votes are allocating like trillions of dollars of capital, you know. Why should we, you know. Dude,
0: yeah, I'm not, I'm not going yeah. to. Well, let's see how it ends up. I think it'll be yeah. interesting to see where it lands. I'm, I'm a proponent of it. I hope that it passes because I'd like to see additional protocols get funding in a, in a unique way. And mm-hmm. I like the initiative of the foundation for putting it forward. Right. It is a, It's it's a. a. It's a good sort of outcry to, to protocols that they care. So so let's see how it turns out. So on to on to I a, would be a fan of
3: just going with it and saying ninety-nine percent of people voted for it. That's an overwhelming overwhelming yeah. number of people who supported it and the people who might not want to do it didn't care enough to vote. And so I say I say it passed
1: Yeah. yeah. If
3: people care about my yeah. opinion.
1: Lower the quorum. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I agree. Where can someone uh, link me to the forums? <laughs> I've been totally trying to get someone to do it, but nobody is doing it.
0: <laughs> Please. On to the, the final topic of the day. So, we, we've had a, a couple episodes about NFTs. want to chat about everyone's favorite phantom native T marketplace and paint swap. So, they've released a bunch of major upgrades over the last couple of weeks. And I know, Bebus, you guys are building some interesting things in the NFT space. I know that they have an NFT bridge now via multi chain, there's rarity rankings. Rarity sortings. It seems like new collections are are coming online more quickly. But what what I found interesting in that that cryptocurrency report from CoinGecko was that OpenSea's dominance is slipping to Magic Eden on Solana and X2Y2. And you know, basically, I guess my question is like, is the end game like the end game for every platform is different? Is you know, is the end game for PaintSwap you know if they can execute the roadmap really, really well, to try to compete with the likes of somebody like an OpenSea that big, is it even feasible for that to happen? And, and, you know, as you see other players now, you know, something I found interesting was that OpenSea integrated Solana into their, their marketplace, it actually backfired on them and Magic Eden picked up a ton of, of traction because of that. So you may not see them make that same mistake twice. But you know, what do you guys think? You know, is that is that the the game Paint Swap is trying to play in, or is that even realistic?
3: I mean, I would I I would hope that Paint Swap is is planning to be huge because otherwise <laughs> like, they're not that ambitious. But I mean, they are Paint Swap's already does more volume on Jantum than any other chain. And I also think it's I, I'm there's things that I talk to a lot of the paint swap guys a lot so I, I can't 100% remember how much of this stuff has been released I know they have they've been releasing a bunch of stuff but there's also a bunch more stuff coming out soon that you know they've been talking about in their discord and on twitter and stuff some of the the presentation that I gave in consensus was talking about using this minimal proxy pattern for their nft vaults because they're going to support custodial and non-custodial sales they just put like the trait sorting and, and filtering and stuff on their on the live site. So you can go in and, you know, figure out specific attributes that that you want to find and see if they're for sale. And then there's a bunch, yep. bunch more stuff coming, but one of the things that I still think is really, I mean, I, I like all the up guys personally. And then on a tech level, I do actually think that what they're doing is a lot more advanced than a lot of their competitors. Like the, the OpenSea, and you know, a lot of the sites that you think of do have a traditional database backend and are, are more of like a, you know, a traditional web app built on top of an NFT infrastructure, whereas PaintSwap is used still using subgraphs and all of their indexing is done, is done off-chain using on-chain data, but they're not they don't have a centralized database where they're storing all of this. The listings are all done through their contracts, the auctions are all done through the contracts, the you know, all of this stuff is still done in a decentralized way, which does make it, at some point, I think, an interesting option for them to look at at deploying onto multiple chains and being more native, in a more native way than what OpenSea would be able to do, whereas OpenSea, just given sort of how they are, they end up driving traffic to other chains, whereas PaintSwap can be more native if they wanted to do some of that stuff. But, you know, just in terms of supporting ERC-721s plus ERC-1155, part of the reason we used them a long time ago was because they supported erc 2981 for nft royalties which no one else was doing so they do seem to constantly be you know implementing all of the latest standards to make sure that they they have stuff that none of the other marketplaces support and it's been getting a lot faster and they've been making lots of ui and ux improvements so in general i think but i like them overall and and you know it's always good to hang out and work with them.
1: For sure. I, I, Go ahead, Nick. I just got some questions on on NFTs that I don't know very much about. But it seems to me that, you know, it, 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 it would appeal to a very wide demographic of gamers and, 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 and things like that. And it was interesting to me that Coinbase launched an NFT marketplace in April. It's done $3, million, 3 million in revenue in aggregate between then and now which you know is not very much. GameStop launched an NFT marketplace which they spent three and a half million dollars building, which is fair. I think coinbase spent 600 million was a reported figure which maybe that's a typo, but that, that that seems to be the number going around but in any event, GameStop launched an NFT marketplace, did three and a half million in revenue sorry in turnover, not revenue for the business. It generated 67000 in revenue for GameStop. And I look at these numbers in comparison with the $17 billion in, in turnover that OpenSea has done on Ethereum this year. And I think to myself whether the NFT, you know, TAM is a lot narrower than we might have thought and whether it's just this, you know, very narrow demographic of crypto-native people that are, that are, you know, engaging with these things on chain. And as soon as it moves into Coinbase, which is mass market, or GameStop, which is a more mass market, nobody cares. It's interesting to me because you can invest in Coinbase and in GameStop in the public markets, in the equity of those businesses, whereas you can't invest in, in, in open So h- how do you guys think about that kind of dichotomy? Is, is, is that just GameStop and Coinbase don't know how to execute? Or is it a larger, broader story around you know, the mass market doesn't really care about these things and they don't get them. I'm genuinely curious. I'm I'm not one way or another. I think
3: both of them launched when NFT volume overall was down. And so stealing market share in a down market is going to be really tough because everyone's going to just prefer to be on the place where there is volume. I also think that it's interesting to me because I think I always sort of have to clarify when I talk about NFTs, I often, I might be talking about art, but I might not be. PaintSwap, most of their volume has been in art NFTs, OpenSeas, almost all art NFTs and so on. But UniV3 are NFTs, V NFTs are NFTs. Revest has financial NFTs. At some point, there will be, you know, other assets locked up behind NFTs, contracts, deeds, so on. So, Ha- like treating an nft marketplace as an all-encompassing marketplace and this is one of the things that i want i i like what PaintSwap is doing is that they are they do support financial nfts and are working with revest to make sure that they display properly and that users are protected when they're trading trading financial assets backed by an nft they're also doing all the stuff on the you know, art NFT front to make sure that Seven Twenty Ones have all of the stuff that people are looking for there with trait filtering and so on. A lot of GameFi is is all based around Eleven Fifty Five NFTs because of the way that they can be broken up and transferred. And you know, it's it's as a multi-token, it's sometimes better for what people are using for GameFi. And so, PaintSwap also supports supports those. So it, it I think that the volume is probably going to shift around. I don't. I think a lot of the volume that was, you do see behind the numbers that you're mentioning for OpenSea are because there was a lot of hype and probably at least some amount of bubble around NFTs. People were, were investing in them purely out of speculation and not because they cared about the art or the artist or anything like that. And if you if you buy cool digital art from an artist that ends up, you know, going on and doing all sorts of crazy cool things, I bet there is some financial value there, but I wouldn't necessarily go and like buy up a ton of NFTs based on the fact that this art is hundred percent of it's going to appreciate. At the same time, I, I think that as a, from a marketplace perspective, if I'm, if my, you know, house is, is backed by an NFT and a car is backed by an NFT and all these unique assets that can be transacted have some sort of token that's unique behind them, then having marketplaces follow that stuff opens up potential to a lot more volume, but I also think it's not like an overnight thing. They're, you know, right now you couldn't decide that you want your house to be backed by an NFT because no one else is necessarily doing that. At the same time, I live near Reno and I know that like they have blockchain projects going for tracking some of the stuff just within their city on different blockchains. So it, there is a future for, for that kind of stuff to take off. And there are municipalities and governments like looking into tracking things that aren't necessarily purely... Financial instruments, but you know, actual goods and things that you own, and tracking warranties and getting into games and all that sort of stuff. But cool. I, I, I yeah. think that I. So that was like a long way of saying I think both of those marketplaces were a little late to the game with something that's just focused on on art in terms of
5: the marketplace.
0: Yep. All right, Beavis twenty four. Anything you want to add?
2: GameStop did 45K in a day. That's pretty bad
4: in terms of sales. Yep. Oh,
2: GameStop? Are you saying yeah.
4: GameStop is like, I mean, it's not as bad as Coinbase NFT. I think they are approaching it with a lot more intelligence to a certain extent. Like, they're actually engaging with artists that. People are liking, and they're focusing on creators and like in-game content, which is smart because that's you know already a little bit their their cup and tea cup of tea. Beyond that, like I don't think they're going to penetrate like into native NFT markets. It's like, like the GameStop thing is cool because they can reach outward in ways that native protocols yeah. can't.
3: Just think about like how much might GameStop spend on an advertising campaign and like how much of this is for, you know, getting the GameStop name out there and having us talk about it. If they really spend $3 million on a marketplace that is still bringing in revenue, like that could be a really cheap way for them to advertise to crypto people.
4: Yeah
0: yeah I mean, if you lived through the the gamestop short squeeze, just the reddit community alone like this this promise of an n f t marketplace has has been part of the the gamestop narrative for a long time, so I would imagine that purely off of that they can probably gain some traction and followers just off the the pure madness that went on around that, that short squeeze situation. So, but I mean, honestly love to see what, what paint swaps up to love to see them continue to ship out, you know, really good innovation and great products. And, and I hope that they do find ways to compete with the open seas of the world because they've been doing it all without any type of backing from any, any chain and they've made it this far. So, you know, would love to see yeah. their continued growth and success.
3: Yeah, I think I'm optimistic for and looking forward to some of the stuff that they have coming out just because from a just tech perspective, I think a lot of it's cool. And I was sort of brainstorming the other day and trying to come up with like lists of features. Like there's still, I still harass them with features that I want added just for my personal use or whatever. But I, I think, you know, I can't really think of. Things that other marketplaces are going to have that PaintSwap doesn't. I can do a lot of stuff that PaintSwap has that others don't. So overall, yep. I think they've been doing an awesome job.
0: Awesome. Well, that is where we will leave it. Good luck to Paint Swap. Let's see how how they continue to build. We are going to get the hell out of here, guys. I hope everyone has an awesome Thursday and a fantastic weekend. Thanks for tuning in to episode forty-five of Phantom Unchained from Nick Jaycon, Double Sharp twenty-four dollars, Justin Beavis. I am Crypto, Crypto Clay. Le- like and subscribe to the channel. Crypto. Do us a favor. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. See you guys Klepto
2: later. Clay, hey, don't come to my house. <laughs>